Amen. If you would remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to the text from which this series is based and from which my assignment for the weekend comes. Psalm 23, verse number one, you all know it probably by heart. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everybody said, Amen. The verse that I want to zero in on for this weekend is verse number two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And my subject this weekend is blessed rest. Blessed rest. Anybody need a little bit of that? For your anxiousness, for your worry, for your confusion, for your depression, for your not knowing what the future holds. Anybody need a little blessed rest? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Would you minister by your power and by your grace, and most of all, by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. We know he is our great teacher. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. I know if you all know this about me, but I love cookies. I mean, I'm like a cookie monster. I don't eat just one cookie. I have to like either abstain or I'm done. Because as soon as I eat one, anybody else have this problem? Like, it's like as soon as you eat one, you just... I'm better off just not touching them, right? But I could do like a dozen, two dozen. Seriously, no no joke. Two dozen would be no problem for me. I'm, t- I'm not talking about them little chintzy ones either. You know, you just spoon them on. You know, somebody who is real cheap with the dough was making them. I'm talking about the big ones too. Anyway, there's this insane cookie place in New York City called Insomnia Cookies. Anybody ever heard of Insomnia Cookies? And um, they deliver, their promise is, they deliver warm Gooey, chewy, little crispy on the outside, gooey on the inside, nice chocolate chip cookies. Seven days a week till 3 a.m. in the morning. I mean, I guess that's insomnia cookies, you know. And um, I thought about this. I thought, who came up with that business plan? I stay up till 3 in the morning, you know, got to staff it. Got to make cookies, got to be fresh. If you were to ask me, is that a good business plan? I'd tell you that's a horrible business plan. But, they, but they've tapped into something that um, is a pandemic in our society even before there was a pandemic. And that's that people can't fall asleep. 70 million people plus suffer from insomnia every year. It is actually credited with 38,000 deaths. It cost the U.S. $70 billion worth of productivity. 64% of teenagers suffer from it. The most severe cases occur in those between the ages of 30 and 40. And about 50% of all senior citizens over the age of 65 battle with it. And so Insomnia Cookies built a multi-million dollar business on a multi-generational problem. And that is we as people can't find rest. And the rest... That escapes us is not just for our bodies, but it's something that's going on deeper and more importantly, it's a symptom of what is happening in our souls because we are overburdened with worry 
We're overburdened with anxiety, fearfulness, fretfulness, uncertainty, and busyness. We, we get the what ifs. Well, what if that happens? And how am I going to go deal with this? This one's mad at me or I'm mad at that one. And my job is full of pressure. My, my boss is nagging me to get the deadlines due. My house needs to be cleaned and my lawn needs to be cut and the kids have to go for their physicals and the oil on the car needs to be changed. The bills are due. There's too much month at the end of the money. My spouse and I are at odds. My teenager is troubled. How am I going to cope with all this? And still have time to get everything else done in a 24-hour day. And so we lie awake at night because our souls are troubled. Our mind is racing a million miles a minute. As a result, we can't rest. But then instead of finding a solution for the rest, we, we fabricate the importance of not being able to rest. We, 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 we wear busyness like it's a badge of honor. How you doing? Busy, just busy. What's going on? Oh, just keeping busy. Sorry, I'm late. You know, I'm real busy. I hate people who say that, by the way. Like, like they have some type of weird, you know, uh, impression of themselves. They're the only ones that are busy. Yeah, we get around people like that. They're always like, I'm, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. I'm so, how does the rest of the world deal with it? You know? And they, they think this productivity, you know, and they take pride in it. You know, I'm one of those people I can function on just a, just a few hours sleep. I mean, after all, Thomas Edison, he claimed that he can live on 15 minute naps. And I thought, well, y'all forgot about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, the smartest man perhaps to ever live, said he got 11 hours sleep every single night. Look at your neighbor saying, now I know why you're so stupid. No, I'm just playing. We have this, this, this impression that, you know, busyness and not resting is some type of badge of honor. Interestingly enough, most animals know how to rest. Dogs doze and bears hibernate. Cats invented the cat nap. Sloths slumber all day long. But sheep... They naturally don't sleep. They need a shepherd in order to find rest. And we're going to see so do we. I, for one, find it humorous and actually providential that one of the old myths of how to fall asleep is to count sheep. (laughs) Meanwhile, these animals can't even sleep. In order for sheep to rest or to lie down, they must be free from four things. Otherwise, they'll never rest. They must be free from fear. Conflict, parasites, and hunger. Otherwise, they'll remain skittish on their feet indefinitely. It's only when sheep feel safe from predators, free from interherd conflict, free from flies and bugs that bother them and have a full belly and their thirst is quenched, that sheep will lie down and rest. Otherwise, they will stay standing the entire time and remain skittish. The only way for them to be free of these four things, predators, conflict, parasites, and hunger, is for their shepherd to see to it. Sheep are totally dependent upon the shepherd in order to find rest. Literally, the shepherd, due to his constant care for the sheep, makes them, not not as in forces them, not as in gets them to do something against their will, but takes care of them so well That they feel so safe and they feel so secure that then and only then will they lie down and rest. David is saying, based on God's constant care for him, in the face of all four of these things which David experienced, 
predators, conflict, parasites, and hunger. That God of God alone is responsible for my blessed rest. And today I want you to know that God and God alone can give you that rest. Otherwise, you will stay up, staring at the ceiling, counting sheep, and brag about how you can't sleep but still function. I just want you all to know you function better when you sleep. And I've gone through all this in my own life. There were periods of time where I couldn't rest. And then all of a sudden, I just said, God, I, I got to be able to sleep. This is just crazy. I got to be able to tune it off. I got to be able to turn, turn the brain off. And I started standing on promises in the Bible that says he gives his beloved rest. And I sleep like a baby every single night. It doesn't matter what's really going on in my life anymore. And I've learned how to sleep in strenuous situations and circumstances because, and I'm going to get into this and kind of flesh it out, because when you understand that the shepherd takes good care of you, You can rest even in the middle of the worst storms of life. What did Jesus do on the boat? Slept. Everybody else was freaking out. Jesus was sleeping. I want to give you four keys for blessed rest or begin to give you four keys. I'll only give you one of them today. Um, The first key is for blessed rest, you have to tap into the presence of the shepherd. And the first key that has to do with God's presence is blessed rest comes when we realize his his presence is with us. First, sheep must be free from fear of predators. Sheep are timid. They're easily panicked. Even a stray jackrabbit can cause a stampede of sheep. The slightest suspicion of danger will cause sheep that had just laid down to get up and get ready to run for their lives as though something is going to kill them. God showed me one time that we're a little like sheep. That I was a little sheep-like. Matter of fact, one night, we have one of those family kind of sleep. Everybody sleeps in mom and dad's room. I don't know if you all have ever done that. I hate that, by the way. But they all, like, you know, they do it. Um, I like it, actually. But anyway, so the kids are, you know, they're sleeping there with us. And it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and the alarm to the house goes off. And naturally, it was very, very startling. I'm like, oh, my God. The alarm in the middle of the night. You know, and so what do I do? I, I, I open the bedroom door and, and the time we were living at a house that had like a balcony so you could see down into the center hall like this and you could see the front doors and I looked out the balcony and the, and the front door is wide open. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. So I went back in the bedroom. I got my Italian shotgun. You all know what an Italian shotgun is, right? It's a bat. That's what we use. Keep a bat underneath the chair of your car, you know, cut it off halfway, whatever you got to do. So I want to get the bat. I, this is like 10, 15 years ago before, you know, guns were a big thing and you got to have a gun and all that. Anyway, so I had to, I had to, got my bat and I, I said to my wife, I looked at my wife, the kids, thank God, were still sleeping. I said to my wife, I said, you coming? She said, no. She pushed me out of the bedroom, locked the door. I'm like, yes, I'm by myself. So I'm like going through the house, you know, and uh, just like real, every room, you know, checking in and scared out of my mind thinking somebody's going to jump out. I don't know if I'm going to swing. I don't know if they got a gun. I don't know what's going to happen. I searched the whole house, nothing. So I'm like, I don't know what happened, but maybe somebody came in here. Maybe the, an angel scared them away. I don't know what's going on, right? So I go back up into the bedroom. And of course, I'm knocking on the door. Let me in. Let me in. She's like, are you sure there ain't nobody in there? I'm like, George would let me in already? 
quieren ir? I said, there was nobody in the house. And she goes, well, I was kind of thinking. Earlier today, I went to the front door to get a package. And I don't think I shut it all the way. And so probably what happened is the wind blew the door open in the middle of the night and triggered the alarm. I was like, thanks. Nothing like throwing your husband to the wolves all by himself. Point is, there was nothing to be afraid of. But there was panic going on on the inside. We're a lot like sheep. Our instincts are to panic. Our instincts are to protect our lives right away, even if it means throwing your husband to the wolves and locking the door behind him. Sheep, though, have reason to be skittish because as we saw last week, they're virtually defenseless. They have no fangs, no claws, no sharp teeth. They can't run fast. They're a little like us. We, we have weapons. If you're Italian, you got a shotgun. If you're not Italian, you might have other weapons. We have natural weapons. Intellect, brute, brute strength, relationships, financial resources. All those things can be weapons. But the truth of the matter is none of those weapons that we have, just like none of the things that a sheep possesses, actually protect us from what hurts us most. Broken heart. Financial collapse. Divorce loss of a loved one, none of the weapons that we have really protect us from those things. There's only one place that we can find comfort for our souls, rest for our souls from all those kind of things. Because fear is no joke. When we are afraid like sheep, you know, sheep, uh, pregnant sheep, they're called ewes, when they, when they're, uh, when they have lambs or are pregnant with lambs, and they get afraid if they start to run, they will abort the lamb. And how many of our destinies are aborted because some situation grabs us, grips us, and we become afraid? Fear is, is no joke. Most of us would agree that the door to David's destiny was opened when he faced one of the scariest things in all the world, a giant named Goliath. That was the springboard into, from his place, from the pasture land to the palace. That was what, that was the door of opportunity, but it, but it was cast, it was masked in a shadow of fear by a predator that was before him. It was clearly David's golden opportunity, but he had to push through the fear. Everyone else was afraid of Goliath. First Samuel chapter 17 verse 20, 24 says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him and were what? Dreadfully afraid. There's fear, then there's being dreadfully afraid. Everyone was, was scared out of their mind because of this predator. And this, this David, this writer of Psalm 23, The one who wrote the words, he makes me lie down in green pastures. When everybody else is afraid, David goes before Saul. He's a kid. Verse number 32, 1 Samuel 17, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with the Philistine. Now, you got to chuckle a little bit. If you're an adult listening to a kid like this talk, you're like, they don't just know no better. You know, kids, kids sometimes have a bravado. They have a confidence because they don't know better. Remember when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I jumped down a whole flight of steps just for fun. I just stand up front of them like, watch this! Right? Think nothing, nothing of it. Now, now when I get close to the steps, I hold on to the banister. 
When, when I was a kid, I'd hit the gas pedal on the car, see how fast the car could go, just for fun. Now I get in the car with my son, he goes over 65, I'm like, would you slow down, please? Could you imagine David, here's this kid, right? He's like, don't worry about it. All you mighty men of war, all you great military, you know, gurus, don't worry. I'll go out and fight him. And you remember what Saul says. Saul said, that's just laughable. Matter of fact, look at it with me. David, David, David then responds to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now, if David just stopped there, I would think Saul would be right. Just laugh at the kid. Look at this kid trying to pull up on little kitty experiences. Little things he doesn't know no better. It's because he did this and this. All of a sudden, he's ready for that. But David doesn't stop there. David doesn't have it twisted. He's not disillusioned. He doesn't think that he was able to defeat the lion and the bear because he was that tough. And David begins to, in this very next uh, breath to Saul, unravel what he's talking about in Psalm 23. Because the very next thing he says, after he says, Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. Who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What gave David such confidence against the predators and the enemies of life? David realized something that we must embrace in our lives. That when we fight, we don't fight alone. When we stand, we don't stand by ourselves. David understood that it wasn't him who slot the, who shot the slingshot. That it was the great shepherd. David understood something that Goliath couldn't even see. Goliath thought he was fighting one shepherd, but he was fighting two shepherds. One that was a shepherd kid and the other that was a shepherd king. He was fighting two and we must realize if we are ever going to get rest against the predators of life that the presence of God is with us. That God stands nearby and beside us. Psalm 118 verse 6 and 7 David says the Lord's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord's on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If his presence is with you, you can grab a lion by the beard. If his presence is with you, you can defeat a bear. If his presence is with you, you can slay a giant. Maybe you don't know it, but every Bible great did. They understood that the presence of God was with them. Moses, you remember that? He had to face the predator named Pharaoh. And Moses had a conversation with God about this. 
Because Moses was thinking he's going to have to do this alone. How many of you know you ought to be afraid if you have to face big giants, big predators, big enemies by yourself? Because the truth of the matter is there's a whole lot that is stronger than us all by ourselves. But I want to encourage somebody and let you know there's nothing that is stronger than you and your shepherd together. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you send with me. God, I need some help with this. God, send me a person. Anybody else ever just needed another person? Can I tell you there will times where God will make you lonely on purpose? Because if you were never lonely, you would never get to that place where you got the right partner in your life. The right partner first and foremost is God. And until you learn to depend on him, you're really not ready for somebody else's help. Because it will block you from receiving ultimate help. He said, "He said, God, who will you send with me? You have said, I know you by name. And you have found grace in my sight. He said, now therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And listen to what God said. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God said, ain't nobody going to help you. Let me say it again. Ain't nobody going to help you. Let me say it one more time. Ain't nobody going to help you. I said, well, Pastor, that's kind of cruel. God's presence will go with you. God's presence will go with you. And he will give you rest. And then he said, if your presence doesn't go with me, now God, don't play me now. God, because I know I'm not strong enough. I know I can't do it by myself. God, don't just thrust me out there all by myself. I'm going up against not just any predator. I'm going up against Pharaoh. He's got a military. He's got military might behind him. He's got resources. He's got tools. Don't play me. If your presence is not going to go with me, don't send me. See, every Bible great found rest. Not in the aid of other people, although thank God for that. But in the presence of God that they realized was with them throughout everything in life. This is not something that David knew. This is not something that Moses knew. This is something that they all knew. Joshua. Joshua had one of the scariest circumstances thrust upon him in the Bible. Joshua followed a great leader by the name of Moses. Moses was an icon. Moses was a legend. I mean, think about all the things that Moses did. He received the Ten Commandments. He looked at God face to face. Came down from the mountain. He had the glory shining on him. He had to veil it so that nobody else would be killed. He parted the Red Sea. He stood up to Pharaoh. He sent plagues on Pharaoh. He brought water from a rock. Now, we understand that God did all that, but he did it through Moses. And in the eyes of most of the people, because how many of you know, when most of the people see, when most people see God work through somebody, they don't really give God the credit, they give the person the credit. And so Moses is an icon. He's a legend. He's beloved, he's trusted, he's the man of God. And now Joshua has to take over for him. And Joshua is asked to do what this icon and what this legend could not do. Imagine that. 
You go do what the person who brought water from a rock couldn't do. You go do what the person who got the Ten Commandments couldn't do. You go do what the person who parted the Red Sea couldn't do. You do it. You take the children of Israel into the promised land. God's first instructions to Joshua, the very first. He says it not once. He says it not twice. He says it three times in nine verses. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Pause. Has God ever said that to you? Because that ain't easy. Don't be scared. Don't, don't lose courage. Don't be worried. Don't you hate when people say that to you too? Like, you know, anybody who's never going through something can always say to somebody who is going through something, it'll be all right. How many of you know it's a lot harder to tell yourself it'll be all right than it is to tell somebody else? I mean, I have had extraordinary faith for other people where faith for myself in the same circumstances has been real difficult. I have laid hands on people and see God do miracles. And when I get sick, I lay hands on myself and nothing happens. He said, don't worry about it. Be strong. Be of good courage. But then he says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll be with you, Joshua. My presence will be with you. You're not going to do this alone. You're not going to fight alone. You're not going to give instructions alone. You're not going to make decisions alone. You're not going to take one step alone. My presence will be with you. And then he tells them this, Joshua chapter 1, verse number 5. As I was with Moses... So will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Just like you saw the power of my presence active in the life of Moses and you had a front row seat to it. Be careful about note what God allows you to have a front row seat to see. If God is allowing you to see something that other people don't normally get a glimpse at. It's not because God loves you more than anybody else. It's because God has an assignment for you that you will need what you saw with. Make sure you spend your time around people who experience and live in the presence of God so that you can see the power of God's presence in their life so you can have confidence it'll show up in your life. He said, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Just as Moses went up against a predator, a pharaoh, and won the giants in those lands, you'll win because I'll be with you. All those ites that you're about to face, just like Moses was able to defeat Pharaoh, you're going to defeat the ites. All those fortified walls, I'll be with you, Joshua. When you're up against time, when time is running, have you ever felt like time is running out in your life? Joshua had a situation where time was running out. He said, God, what am I going to do? God said, I got it. I'm going to tell the sun to stand still. I'm telling you when the presence of God walks with you in life, there is a Godfidence that you will experience. When he was crossing the Jordan at flood stage, God did for him what God did for Moses. He parted the Jordan River. But do you know what? We have the same promise. God didn't just promise David he'll be with him and Moses he'll be with him and Joshua he'll be with him. He promised us that he would be with us. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18. 
Jesus came to them and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now just let me stop there for a moment. I want to just make sure I say this accurately. But maybe maybe part of the reason why we don't experience the presence of God, part of the reason why we aren't cognizant of the presence of God is because we really aren't about the Great Commission. Maybe we're wanting God's presence over everything that we decide to do that has nothing to do with what God has asked us to do. Because God said, if you do this, and lo, and lo, I'm with you even until the end of the age. Can I tell you why it's important to put God's business above every other business? Is because when you put God's business first, you understand the presence of God is with you. And then God's presence will go with you into the things that God will bless in your own life that don't have anything to do with the Great Commission. God's presence is with us, though. It's a promise not just to Moses or David. Remember, sheep, they need the presence of the shepherd in order to feel safe from their enemies. It's like the famous poem, you know it. One night I had a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me, the other to the Lord. After the last scene, my life flashed before me. I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said that if I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troubling times of my life, It was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, that you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you. I'll never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and your testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. His presence is always with us. We shall not fear because his presence is near. We shall not fear because he walks with us and talks with us and leads us in the way. He makes us lie down. It's not that our life is exempt from predators, but he makes us lie down because we have confidence in the care of the shepherd. First key. I must realize God's presence is with us. Second thing about God's presence is blessed rest comes when you prioritize his presence. One of the big ten, the big ten, ten commandments, is overlooked in our lives more than any of the other ones. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Most of us, we even forget about this one, that it even exists. Everybody knows the the big ones, you know, do not steal, 
Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. It's amazing how the church gets focused on certain things that are in the same list as things that we choose to ignore. Like keep the Sabbath day holy. But God thought it was pretty important because he put it in his top ten. Matter of fact, some scholars believe that when God gave the Ten Commandments, he gave them in order of priority. Which means that keeping the Sabbath day is more important, if it's true, than not murdering, not stealing, or not committing adultery. Some also believe by virtue of the amount of text that he gave to keeping the Sabbath, that it is also more important. Because when it comes to, for instance, um, murder, he just says four words. You shall not murder. Get it? God's like, good. I'm glad you got that one. When it comes to not stealing, he says you shouldn't steal. Get it? Good. When it comes to not committing adultery, he says you shouldn't commit adultery. Got that one? Good. When it comes to the Sabbath, God said, let me hit the pause and let me just explain this one to you a little bit. He says, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to set it apart, to consecrate it, to dedicate it. That's what it means to, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Some of y'all that got two days off a week, you're blessed. I said, some of y'all that got two days off a week, you are blessed. I work so hard. Not if you got two days off a week, you, you don't work that hard. There's a lot of us out here, we work six days a week. We got one day off. (laughs) Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Watch this, watch this, because God's got us covered. He says, not you, not your son or your daughter. Let me just break that down for you a minute here. That means that your kid stuff doesn't take priority on God's day. God takes priority on God's day. Woo! That is such good stuff right there. Cause you should see church attendance over the summertime when kids got stuff. Well, you know, I gotta get my kids here and I gotta get my kids there and I gotta get my kids here and I gotta, it's alright, God understands that I hadn't been in church in four months. Who told you? Say, Pastor, but your kids played sports too. I know. We got Saturday night service. We got Wednesday night Bible study. You get to church. If you really want to, you can get to church. Not your son, not your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now what what does this mean? Because some people think that what this means is that on on the Lord's Day, that i got to get my flip-flops and my shorts on and a glass of iced tea and sit in my lawn chair and not move. That kind of rest will do your body good, but it won't do your soul good. To some extent, it won't. God's really not talking about just shutting it down to, to get some physical rest, although that is absolutely essential and important. He said the Sabbath is holy to the Lord. In other words, it's God's day. It is the day where we drop everything and we prioritize being in the presence of Almighty God. Because when we're in the presence of God, suddenly we realize how powerful 
powerful the presence of God is, suddenly we realize what beauty is in the presence of God, what calm is in the presence of God, what peace is in the presence of God, how everything all of a sudden gets fixed and prioritized in the presence of God. Maybe the reason why a lot of people aren't at rest is because the presence of God in the house of God is not a priority. The intention is to practice his presence, to give God first dibs. It was David that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It was David who said, zeal for your house has consumed me. It was David who said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. What's he telling us? He says, there's a place where we can practice the presence, where we can be in the presence, where we can experience the presence of God, where we can understand that unless his presence goes with us, we are not doomed to succeed like we will when his presence is with us. When we sing about it, I'm not sure that we mean it. Let your presence go before me and be behind me and beside me all around me do we really understand what that means because God doesn't really move that much but he does wait for us to enter into his courts and enter into his gates he's waiting for us to practice his presence because when sheep get in the presence of their savior they find rest from all their anxieties, and all their fears, all the things that are predators in life. Let me give you one more. Blessed rest comes when you rest in the presence. Blessed rest comes when you rest in the presence. When I was in fourth grade, there was this kid that used to pick on me all the time. And uh, he hid behind his older brother. He had a big older brother with six six, So he'd pick on everybody. And, and if you would get upset or you'd try to fight back, he said, I'm going to get my brother to beat you up. Some of you have heard me share this. And his brother's name was KK. I'm thought, one more K, we in trouble right there. And so he would mess with everybody. He particularly picked on me. And one day I went to the bathroom in the middle of the class, and he just happened to be in the bathroom at the same time. I said, uh-oh. And he started picking on me, and I had enough. And I whooped him right there in the bathroom. He said, I'm going to get my brother, KK. I'll get him to beat you up. And I was scared. I was like, oh, no. So the next day it was time to get up for school. I faked like I was sick. Next day it was time to get up for school. I faked like I was sick again. And finally my parents kind of got wise to it because, you know, parents really know when you're faking, you know. And they're like, what's going on? How come you don't want to go to school? I'm like, KK's going to beat me up. <laughs> Who's KK? Well, Dad, he's this big kid. He's like six foot six. At recess time, uh, Sean, he said that he's going to beat up. He got his brother to beat me up. I'm not going to school. Here's what my dad said. Because I wasn't going. No matter what they did, I wasn't going. I mean, I strapped myself to the bed, chained myself to the bed. Do you have to drag me out? I was a big kid, too. You want to drag me out of the house? My dad said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, I'll sit up on the hill. That overlooks the schoolyard. And he said this. He said, you, you'll be okay. I won't let nothing happen to you. And so recess time came. Everybody's running out for recess. I'm like. <laughs> I get out the doors. I look. 
I see my dad up there on the hill. As soon as I saw my dad, I ran with the rest of the kids. What happened? Arrested in the presence of my father. I understood that by him being there, he was not going to allow something to happen to me that was going to be to my detriment. And by him being there, he was going to intervene. If he had to intervene by him being there, I felt good. He had it under control. I trusted him. I didn't worry about whether KK was coming, where KK was coming from, when KK was coming. I just trusted that my shepherd, my father was there. And my dad was a little dude. But he was Italian. Watch out. Here's what we need to understand. Sheep, they look all around, skittish. Where's the wolf? Where's the wolf? Where's the wolf? As soon as they see the shepherd, start wagging their tail. Start prancing around. They rest in the presence of the shepherd. I don't know if we realize how deep this metaphor that David is sharing with us in Psalm 23. He's trying to get across the heart to us of God. He's trying to say there are all sorts of things that are going to disturb your rest. But your ultimate rest is found in the presence of the shepherd. I want to leave you with the words of our shepherd. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me. All ye who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Blessed rest comes from the shepherd and savior of our soul. You can't get it any other way. In his presence is where we find rest. Would you stand to your feet?